are live from the Empire of Lies. It's time for a show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. An oasis of free speech, open debate, and no censorship in the Biden administration. I'm Lee Strahan, and this is The Backstory. So how you doing today, Rod? I'm doing good, Lee. I can't complain. How about yourself? Doing pretty well. We made it through election week, although it's still election week. They, they've not figured out things in Arizona yet. We'll talk about that. But they're saying in Arizona that they'll have it for us maybe by early next week, maybe Monday or Tuesday. Have you seen that? Yes, that common core math, Lee. You can't count. You can't even count ballots, you know. So uh, here we are. We can't even count ballots. So we have to wait uh, almost a week. And it's all for one county. It's all for Maricopa County, which is a big one in Arizona. Most of the population of Arizona is in that one county, which includes Phoenix, Scottsdale, and so on. Scottsdale, and so on. And uh, But you'd think they could get their act together. That's why Carrot Lake has said the first thing she'd do is clean up the election system, which is pretty good plan, I think. No, I agree with that. I think a lot of governors who are should do the same thing across the country. Yes. And uh, now, I was thinking about this. We're talking about Fetterman winning. Well, I'll, I'll save it for after the boom. we got a great show today. Headed into the weekend, election weekend, we have a great balanced lineup of great guests and great guys. Ted Rawl, on the left, is in the first hour. And I'm going to talk comedy stuff with Ted. I have a question for him about how he sees just Ted Rawl. Ted's been on a show many times. And if I say Ted Rawl seems like a nice guy, you know what I mean, right, Rod? You deal with him. He's a very, very nice, nice person. Yeah, right. Uh, Ted stands out for your common New Yorker. He's a nice guy. And I think he would, you know, you could ask him a question or directions, <laughs> unlike uh, the common New Yorkers nowadays. Well, I was I was going to ask him about how he sees political change happening because he's a communist. So he should like revolutions. But Ted Rawl seems like the least revolutionary guy in person, personality. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. Do you think Ted would throw a Molotov cocktail at you? <laughs> no, no, hopefully not. Not, but I wouldn't see. I can see that. Right, he he he'd be painting it. He'd draw it over in the corner. But uh, by the way, have you seen where Molotov cocktails are being thrown? Greece protesters, big protests in Greece. Yeah, I did. I did see that video the, uh, at the uh, government buildings. Uh, they're uh, protesting over there. Yeah, they are very fiery over there. And I like, I like the, the media likes featuring Molotov cocktails because who? It sounds Russian, right? Does it make sense? Right. Yeah. There we go. I'm surprised they just don't say Russian bombs, Russian bottle bombs. That's what's coming. And then to close out the week, the great Tyler Nixon, always like Tyler, like having Tyler on. And we'll talk among other things about the GOP civil war. Is it fair to call it a civil war or is it really Trump in the China shop? It's Trump in the China shop, Lee. Yeah. But he's making a civil war because he's got a lot of followers. And if Trump came out in the morning and said, strawberry ice cream is the best, in the morning, 
by the afternoon, Trump supporters and MAGA hats would have a run on strawberry ice cream. Whatever he says, right? So if he says Glenn Yonkin is bad, and that's his newest thing, right? The governor of Virginia is bad now. Is that it? Uh, yeah, yeah um, Glenn Yonkin didn't kiss the ring. You know, he didn't. He didn't thank him for uh, helping him win in Virginia. So now he's uh, he's attacking him. And by the way, do you know how else Trump is going to do this to everybody who didn't? Yes, my answer is going to be anyone he damn well wants to. And this is the danger of Trump. If the perfect candidate came along, and I I don't, whatever you picture the perfect candidate, and he's up against Trump, Trump is going to attack him, and often in a dumb way, make fun of his name, or just bring up doubts. And a lot of his followers will go along with it. Do you think so? Or am I overly cynical, Rod? Yeah, because he's got a comedic value to him, Lee. So a lot of people go along with it. You know, uh, a lot of people go along with the funny guy anywhere. Whoever's, you know, the funniest person, they just go along with it. So a lot of people will just go along with it. I I call it funny bullying. And everybody who's been in public school, certainly, I assume private school too, but I know public for sure, knows that kind of bullying. Let's gang up and make fun of, you know, I, I won't, it's a popular word in LGBTQ. It's the Q, but I can't say it in the way it's used in public school. But, you know, let's beat the oddball. Let's let's make fun of the oddball. Does it make sense, Rod? <clears throat> yeah, of course. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I've been, I've been guilty of that myself, you know, uh, when, I was, uh, when I was in school. And you might guess I've been the oddball. So I've been on the other side of that. And it, it's no fun. And uh, it does just make you want to stay home from school, by the way. That's kind of the purpose of it. And so if I was a candidate, I would stay home from the election. You know, does Rand Paul need to be called short? <laughs> no, no. But, but Fauci's shorter than him, so, you know, I guess he wins in that in that department, height department. But, but Trump's good at that. That's why he's got tiny Marco. He's made fun of Rand Paul's hype before. Yeah, yes, he does do that. And and uh, so I was just pointing that out. And of course, we're taking your calls. 202-521-1320. This is the backstory. So, Command Central, did you say we have someone online? Okay. Okay, I thought I heard that, but I was talking, so I get a little confused sometimes. You know that. Thanks for putting up with me, by the way. So, 202-521-1320, one of our great family of callers, the great killer of owls, the one, the only owl killer. What's on your mind? Well, you know, Roger was on... Uh... Alex Jones today, and he brought up. So I take I take you mean Roger Stone, not Roger Waters. Oh, uh, yeah, or Roger Rabbit. So yeah, Roger Stone. Um, but you know, could, sometimes it could be Roger Waters. So let's let's get that out there. There's more than one Rogers. My point. Yeah, there certainly is, but there's only one that uh, would go on Alex. I'm pr- I'm pretty sure. But yeah, yeah, right. To answer your question. Yes, Roger Stone. Um. And uh, Owen Schroyer, who I think does a very good job, um, was covering the election. And uh, he brought up a good point that the Republicans didn't even campaign for the majority of their uh, candidates. Um, Trump did more 
in the in the last two months, especially for candidates like um, J.D. Vance, um, Herschel Walker, and Blake Masters than anybody else in the Republican Party. And I, I when I looked at when I'm looking at this Arizona race, I didn't realize Mark Kelly was a retired um, naval captain and uh, NASA astronaut, and. He basically, and I, when I'm looking over his policy, he's basically John McCain, just just in blue, and it, it just seems like that Arizona has an affinity for these type of um, candidates. I am very surprised that the that Carrie Lake um, is losing to Katie Hobbs because Katie Hobbs is a total airhead, doesn't know what planet she's on, refused to debate her. I, I still find that a little strange. Um, I do find. By the, by the way, the refusing to debate strategy actually seems to be working out well. You know, Biden spent the campaign in his basement. So Democrats are learning a lesson. Again, I'm not saying I like it. I don't like it. I think candidates should debate. But you, you've got to results speak for themselves. Does it make sense? So the Democrats are onto something. They found that their voters... Don't expect them to debate. Now, think about that. Democratic voters do not expect to see their candidates. What does that tell you about the mindless loyalty that Democrats exercise? Well, I, I think that what they, you know, they've done calculations and they, they were accurate where they're like, OK, we own the media. And as long as we buy the advertisement, the news anchors really aren't going to challenge us. So that's almost. Uh, that's basically hours of free debate. The, the, the news anchors debate the other person for the candidate, really. So that, that's that's really what I that's really what I think their strategy has been is that they have free publicity and anything that the that the news anchors don't cover, they can buy up ad time and just force it down your throat. So, well, and as a society, I'll say this: we have less patience. So I realize this. In 2014, when I was working on a Senate race up here in South Dakota, people don't watch the debates. People watch clips from the debates. So if you are prepping a candidate for a debate, as I was doing, you need to, I think, my strategy is don't worry about broad positions. Worry about what five moments you can designate as soundbite moments, something outrageous your candidate will say that will get repeated on social media and on the news. Does my strategy make sense, Alcolor? Not, not do you like it, but does it make sense? Not only no, if if it's straight, if it's straight, I mean, I don't want to say ruthless, but if it's straight, hey, let's get the most bang for a buck. That's that's the way that it has to be. And you're right. It's a, I mean. That sound bite, regardless of it didn't pan out, and he may be the one going to jail. That sound bite of because you'd be in jail won him. I think won him that election, won Trump that election over Hillary Clinton. And I don't even know if he was smart enough to realize that those sound bites that he would because I, I think he was an anomaly anomaly where you were going to watch the whole debate, whole debate because you didn't know what else he was going to say. But those sound bites clearly are what won him the won in the election, 100 percent, in my opinion. So yes, I do. I think those short moments of 
you know, you can get a, you can you can get a knockout punch thrown, and you, you land a uh, three, four, or five of those, like you said, and you know, you you pretty much have won that debate in the people's mind because nobody is going to sit through. I mean, could you could you imagine? I mean, I would watch the Carrie Lake debate, but could you imagine uh, listening to uh, watching a, the full Fetterman uh, Doctor Oz debate? I mean, it was just the clips alone were almost mind numbing. Two terrible candidates on both sides. Um, I do think there. I Roger did bring up a good point. There is an. It, there's a and Trump and he was this. He's echoing what Trump was saying. I think DeSantis is a great governor. But why is he being surrounded by the neocons? Why is Jeb Bush and uh, Meghan McCain and the rest of these guys um, throwing their weight behind Ron DeSantis? That does that that is, that does um, draw some type of attention to why are the people that we don't want trying to surround themselves? And I'm, I'm sure they're looking. Well, in- well, what's your answer to that? Because I think there's a pretty obvious answer, which is because he's successful, because they think he's a winner and they want to back someone. A Bush like George W. Bush wants to back someone who can beat Donald Trump. And as he's looking at it, he might prefer Mike Pompeo. All things being equal, he might be a more of a Pompeo guy. But Pompeo is showing no signs of being able to beat Trump. DeSantis, on the other hand, you know, so undoubtedly, Bush seems like a guy who's trying to find someone he can work with. And that's DeSantis for him. But that does not mean that he'll be able to work with DeSantis as much as he wants. So if it's just if it's just personal that, okay, we because he took us out, we want to take him out. I get it from a revenge standpoint, but policy wise, what do you think you're going to get out of DeSantis that you can't get out of Trump? That is a that is a good question. Is it strictly we just don't? Well, for, for, for instance, I'll give you one specific on immigration. I think DeSantis would be more effective at getting things done. And at this point, the immigration crisis is so bad because of Biden that people are open to it. That I just will send the troops to the border, and I, I think he'll shut the border. I don't think they want that. No, and I don't think that's a solution. The, the actual problem we've had Andrew Arthur and Mark Corian on the show a lot from the Center for Immigration Studies, and the big problems are really I don't like using a word because liberals use it all the, all the time, but the problems are systemic. We have a court system an immigration court system that's backed up years. That's part of the problem. We have people uh, taking advantage of a loophole in our asylum system. So it's not just a matter of stopping illegal aliens. It's a matter of stopping quasi-legal aliens, people who come here and use the legal system to their advantage. But great call as usual. I got another person online, I'll close. So thanks very much. 202-521-1320. 202-521-1320. I believe you, Josh in the Bay Area, am I right? Yeah, um, I, I want to be right. Hey, hey, Josh, sorry, sorry, I forgot your name for a second. You, you didn't do anything wrong. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind? I'll be really quick because I know you have your guests. Um, so to your, to your point about the debate strategy, 
it's um it, you're you're completely right, but it's also the arrogance of um the going with the saying i don't I don't necessarily have to debate you because i'm I'm completely right in whatever whatever I, my ideology is um so it would be i I only debate my peers, I teach you instead that's that's i guess how you would uh the liberal side would look at it. Um, or at least where I am in, in between Oakland and San Francisco, it's a lot of arrogance. Like, it's just right. Um, also, to your illegal alien point of view, if I go to the east side of Oakland right now, Home Depot, any other warehouse or, or, or home construction-like type business, it's just filled, like, not even filled. Um, illegal immigration that are people that are on, literally on the street of the parking the, the, the guys in the, in the parking lots who offer to work for you, those guys? Hello? Which which people at Home Depot? You mean the guys in the parking lot who ask you if you need a hand? Those guys? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so I'm I'm 30 years old. So I remember when my parents moved out of their original house when I was 15. And it was it was the same sort of thing. You could go down to you can go down to Home Depot or Ace Hardware to a certain extent and you could just look at somebody. If you were in a truck or a U-Haul or something like that, they'd come up to you automatically. It seems like that, but time's worse. And it's been 15 years, like I, like I, I pointed out originally. Um, I, I have a, I have, my mom is from the Caribbean, but I usually don't like trying to use her as an example of um, if, you, if you go by the system, everything will work out. Because, one, she came from an English-speaking, um, English-speaking former British colony, so it, things worked out better for her. Um, but in terms of just... Claim like trying to claim asylum and then pretty much walk around here like it's Disneyland. I don't necessarily agree with, but if I try to open my mouth in in this land, whew, I, I'd I'd get the guillotine, man. But anyway, um, thank you for taking my call. Um, when you have more time, I would love to rap to you about different stuff that goes on in the Bay Area. Well, you know I like hearing about the Bay Area, so uh, feel free to call back anytime. And uh, 202-521-3020, great call. So, Rod, we got a few clips. And Rod and I, let me point out something to anyone who wants to know our process, and we do have one. Rod and I talk before the show, but actually, we don't over-talk before the show, I would say, Rod. In other words, a lot of times, Rod works independently and picks his own clips. Is that fair to say, Rod? Uh, yeah, you you send like maybe one or two, you know, that you see or somebody sends you, but then I get a couple other ones that uh that I think were interesting or come across that I see you come across the time. Right, and 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 that's right. And so Rod picks a lot of clips independently, and until a few minutes before the show, I don't know what he's picked. But today, as often happens, Rod did a Vulcan mind meld. He read my mind perfectly. Because it's a story about Ron DeSantis and the TV show. Now, Rod, I wanted to cut, talk about this today, and you pulled a clip for it. That is mind reading. That proves psychic phenomenon. Get Jamal quick, because this is proof that we may have a mind meld going. This story, and I'll so set this up, Rod. What happened? Because I never heard of this show. Yeah, this show was on CBS. That's now uh, Paramount Plus. The uh, I think it's the good uh, forgetting it's the good something. I can't remember the, the last word. Um, but I saw this clip on Twitter 
where it was pretty much Monica Lewinsky, but they put <laughs> they put uh, Ron DeSantis and another homosexual man, and they just you know warped the reality. And I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And this it's is a, CBS. It's, it's a courtroom show, basically, and they sometimes these are ripped from the headlines, right? Like Law and Order takes uh, the good like, fight. The good fight. It's called the good the fight. Good, the good fight. And for instance, they might take the Monica Lewinsky story, but they'll change the character. And that's fine. That makes sense. And doing it obviously based on Monica Lewinsky, but here's Susan Smith or whatever, and they make her blonde in the show because it's fictional. That makes sense to me. What they did on this show, The Good Fight, is they had a character, a gay activist character, say he was sexually assaulted, not by a character based on Ron DeSantis, but Ron DeSantis, right? Do I have that right? Yeah, they uh, they breached the uh, what is it called the third wall or something like that. Lee, the, for- the fourth wall, yeah. The fourth wall, yeah, yeah. They breached that wall, so now it's they did just forget it. We're just going to use reality now and just say people's real names. Right. So they'll justify it because at the end, the guy was who accused Ron DeSantis of sexual assaulting him turned out to be lying. So at the end, they'll say, "Well, we said he didn't do it. That's great." You're great. You're great, media. If we ran your name in a front page headline in the New York Times and said, John Smith, producer of The Good Fight, did not rape someone, how would that go over? How's that as a headline, Ron? <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just so insane. There's, just, there's no there's no bottom. We just keep going. We're going to reach China. We're digging a hole deeper and deeper. So, right. So a fictional TV show used a real world politician who's probably running for president. This is election interference by Hollywood. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. This is dirtying his name. This is dirtying his name. Uh, and it's just it's just so weird. And now, now they're calling him gay. So, you know, it's not homophobic when they call him gay. A gay rapist. Yeah. And also, by the way, a desperate gay because you know, he's not just gay, but he had to sexually assault someone, which means he wasn't getting any. I have a feeling I'm not gay, not knocking it, but I'm just saying I'm sure Ron DeSantis would do just fine. Do you think if Ron DeSantis was gay, he'd do OK, Rod? Um, you know, I don't, I don't look at him like that, but, uh, you know, he's he's a popular guy. So, yeah, and he's in Florida and, we you know, you know, those beaches down there in South Florida, there's certain beaches that are for. Uh, I'm just saying. Yeah. So, so you, you're not gay, but you can tell the difference between, let's say, Ron DeSantis and Harvey Weinstein, right? You oh, look yeah. at those guys and you go, or John okay. Kerry, right? So, so let's play the clip. Hit it. Two hundred and sixty-seven days sodomy-free. Can we get to the assault? Yes. I offered my political services to Governor DeSantis. He saw me in my bicycle shorts, worn purely for medical reasons. And he invited me onto his staff. Little did I know what he meant by staff. Oh, my God. God. Yes, Diane. That's who I prayed to for guidance on this decision, as well as my close friend and and mentor Roger Stone, who informed me that a demonic portal has opened up over the Florida State Capitol. I didn't believe him. 
and I took the job. And this is where it gets more, shall we say, ribald. Ron invited me to CPAC so I could work on his speech. And then, and there, he drugged me and forced me into oral sex. Do you have any witnesses? No, I have better. I have a stain. like you're pursuing the truth. This is just a way to take out Ron DeSantis because he's testing the highest against Biden. It's the only reason why we would ever listen to a, a, a termite like Felix Staples. Felix Staples is a Republican. What if he's telling the truth? What about Tucker Carlson? Oh my God, Diane, has Staples ever told the truth? No, I agree with Julius. We should be cutting him loose. Absolutely, isn't it? Why so quick to prejudge Felix Staples when we have evidence? That, that could be anything. That could be ice cream. Jay? Uh, the only way to be certain is to get some of DeSantis's DNA. Oh, DNA. Yes, that's perfect. Let's follow DeSantis around on the campaign trail to get his DNA. I'll bring the condoms. Oh, Anyone else condoms? So there you go. Primetime TV in 2022. So we have Ted Roll online. I'll take a short break and when we come back. Ted's always good to talk to you about art and entertainment, of course, being an artist and a Bobby Vaughn. Let's take a short break and come back with a great Ted Rawl on The Backstory. Backstory 105.5 FM and AM 1390 is where we are on the radio in the Empire of Lies capital, Washington, D.C. Joining us now, great friend of the show, great guest, author, artist, and Bobby Vaughn, Ted Rawl. Hey, Ted, how you doing? I'm okay, Lee. How are you doing? Doing great. So, get, getting ready for the weekend. So, Ted, did, did you hear? We were just playing the TV show that, by name, accused Ron had a character accused Ron DeSantis of sexually assaulting the character and actually using Ron DeSantis's name and Roger Stone's name. It, I it, was really well, I heard that and I didn't, you know, for it was so outlandish, I, I just couldn't figure out what it was. So it's a TV show like a rip from the headlines kind of show, except in this case, I think they ripped a little too much off because they actually use Ron DeSantis's name. Now, as an artist, I'm fine with basing something on real events or basing something on basing something on real people, but fictionalizing them. But I think that show has done something very irresponsible because it's not a new phenomenon of people being fooled by the media. People may may remember, not that they listen to it, but they may remember H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds radio episode. A lot of people thought it was real, right? And so I think a lot of people are gonna end up thinking that Ron DeSantis did sexually assault someone and it's irresponsible. But what say you, Ted Rawl? 
Uh, well, it's it's definitely wrong. Um, you know, it puts Governor DeSantis in a terrible, awkward spot, right? Because really, truly, he should sue as his remedy. Um, I mean, I would cert- if I were him, I would certainly strongly consider it. Um, on the other hand, then he risks the Streisand effect, uh, by which he would be giving more attention to this thing uh, by suing than he would by let it by ignoring it. So he's really in a no-win position. Um, no, he the, they shouldn't have done that. Um, it's very different when you have like a outlandish. Um, you know, where you use a public figure in an outlandish way it, that where like no person would credibly believe it's true. For example, in Borat 2, Kazakhstani President uh, Nursultan Nazarbayev uh, makes an appearance uh, with Borat. Uh, you know, it's so clearly not possible or likely that <laughs> President Nazarbayev would be there. Uh, with Borat, that I think that even if he had sued and uh, he did not, uh, that you know there would have been any any cause. At least in the U.S. court, anyone would say that he had a case. But when you yeah this yeah I mean this is it, it's it's not right. And I, I yeah I, I don't think so either. And I'm glad you say that because and I'm in favor of art. So in other words, I'm pro art. I'm pro fiction. But this is not fiction. And I'm sure. With the lawyers that work on a network show, you know, vast armies of lawyers work on it. That decision was not made lightly. And they wargamed it out and they said, well, if he sues us, it'll be worse for him. So that was not an artistic decision. That was a political decision that I think was okayed by the lawyers. What say you, Ted? Well, uh, yeah. Well, certainly, um, it was it was approved by attorneys. Uh, I have a little a little bit of experience with Hollywood attorneys. Um, I, I once pitched a, a, a TV show that was going to be basically called The Bushies, and it was going to be a satire of the Bush family, kind of a a reverse like uh, satire where everything's exactly the opposite of what you think. So, for example, Dick Cheney is really sweet and sensitive and uh, the the Bush twins are, are geniuses, and 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 George right. is really misunderstood, but he's actually an intellectual. Anyway, the point is that the the lawyers for the networks that I was pitching it to, they were really concerned. They were like, "Well, you know, the, the Bushes could sue," and I'm like, "No, no, they they couldn't sue. Well, they could sue. They just wouldn't win um, because they're public figures, and also, uh, you know, no one would credibly believe, you know, what we're what we're saying here." Um, the, you know, Hollywood lawyers aren't always that smart, is my is my point here. And, you know, I mean, De, DeSantis could let this go. Probably it's the smart move to let it go. But, you know, he's been slimed here. And, uh, you know, that, you know, that's just as a creative person, I don't think that, you know, anyone, including a public figure, should deserves to be slimed just recklessly. Well, let me tell you two stories about how stupid Hollywood executives, they may be lawyers, are. And I think you'll find these stories funny. A friend of mine who's a writer in Hollywood and a successful writer, uh, he told me both these stories and he swears to God they're true. He was in one meeting with Hollywood executives and one guy kept saying, look, we need to go in a different direction in the story. We need, need to do a complete 360. And the guy kept saying it. We need to go a complete 360. 
Now, anyone who knows basic math knows 360 degrees, if you turn around 360, you're going the same direction. He meant right, you're right back where you started. You're right, you went That's here, exactly you're right back right. where you started. Yeah. yeah. And here's the other one. And this is, I think Ray Bradbury said this one. It was when the film The Wiz came out. Remember with Michael Jackson and Diana Ross? That of great course. musical, The Wiz. So an executive was at a meeting, and Bradbury swears that they said, do you know what succeed? A white version of The Wiz. <laughs> That's awesome. That's Which so great. great. So great. So, so funny. There's... There's two stories that I thought you would enjoy them, Ted. So let me, we're talking about you before you came on. And we're saying that although you're a communist, you don't seem like, have you ever in fact thrown a Molotov cocktail? You don't seem like the revolutionary. I, I know you're a punk fan, but uh, have you ever thrown a Molotov cocktail? Uh, no, I have. I did throw a, uh, a bottle at New York, former New York mayor, Ed Koch, though. So. Uh, but the bottle was not did not contain any liquids, flammable or otherwise. And what what size bottle? Uh, uh, it, it, was sixteen, it was a sixteen. It was a sixteen. It was nineteen eighty one, and it was a sixteen ounce uh, Coke bottle. You know so what? The return that, the returnables. It was at a. It was at. A, I was a snotty shed. little. I was an eighteen year old freshman in college, snotty. Uh, and the mayor was meeting with uh, President Reagan at Gracie Mansion, and there was a huge protest. Um, and uh, outside of Gracie Mansion. And when cars were pulling up, we were throwing uh, stuff at the cars, and one of them happened to uh, be carrying Mayor Koch, and my bottle, you know, glanced off the top of his car. And he lowered the window and gave me the finger. And then they, <laughs> and then the car, then the car went and inside Gracie Mansion. By the way, here's an idea for a graphic novel for you. The Adventures of Teen Ted. So 18-year-old, angry Ted Rawl, listening to his Walkman on the subway, throwing bottles. You know, you've got a lot of exciting elements there for a graphic novel. Well, that's, that's true. Um, yeah, that, that is true. Uh, I, I did do a graphic novel about my 21-year-old Ted, or 20-year-old Ted, I should say, um, called The Year of Loving Dangerously. Uh, but really? so to answer your question, I have never thrown a uh, graphic. I have never thrown a Molotov cocktail. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the sensation. I'm not against it. There just hasn't been an appropriate occasion. Well, so on election week, it, the, the appropriate question here, the reason I uh, this occurred to me is that how do you feel about the process you yourself a polit political change. In other words, do you, do you see that elections and things changing gradually is sometimes the way things should work? Or are you a pure revolutionary? What do you think about, from an intellectual standpoint? Does it make sense, well, Ted? Yeah, no, totally, Leah. These are This is a question I think about a lot and, and have thought about for years. And the answer is simple for me. Uh, if the problem is radical, then it calls for radical change. If the problem is not radical, it, it, it does not. So an example of a radical problem is climate change. Uh, it's, it's very extreme. And I mean radical as well, you know, in the classic sense of it's also fundamental. It, it requires 
foundational change in the way that we do a lot of things. So it's very clear that the world has a major problem with climate change and anything short of really major, quick, big action is not going to work. Uh, and that's going to require, and for that to, and governments aren't going to do that, uh, get it done incrementally through legislation. But most, you know, most issues are not radical, um, and most issues do not require radical action. Uh, so therefore, those things can be handled, you know, effectively, legislatively, incrementally. But um, that's that's basically my that's that's my outlook. If something, you know, for example. Uh, people, the, the homeless crisis in this country is, is a radical problem. It requires foundational radical change. Um, it, it, it needs to be fixed tomorrow. No, no one should be sleeping on the street ever. Um, there's, you know, but, uh, you know, people, you know, there's all sorts of problems you can think of that could take a little more time to deal with. So I think one of the problems, on, let, let's talk homelessness first. I want to come back to climate change, because actually I wanted to talk to you about that subject before. But on homelessness, I think part of the problem is that you can't and shouldn't. You can, of course. But I think forcing people to go into a shelter, and in some cases, shelters would seem to be a solution to the problem. But I've talked to homeless people, and this is the reason they're not is that some of the people in the shelters are dangerous. So you don't want to sleep in a shelter if the guy next to you is going to pop you on the head and take whatever you have. Does it make sense? And so I think the problem of, and you really can't force someone into that situation. So the homeless guy I talked to, this is out in Berkeley, he said he doesn't go in to sleep in the shelters at night, in part because they can't keep the dangerous homeless people out of there. So what do you think a solution? And do you think I'm identifying not the only problem, but part of the problem of eradicating homelessness? Ted Rawl. Well, that is part of the problem. Of course, my first, you know, my first answer response to that would be clearly they need more security in these shelters, and also clearly they need triage. Um, you know, people who are deranged don't shouldn't be in a traditional uh, shelter. They should be in a mental institution, and uh, and and so these populations should be separated. And there's also, you know, a, a, a huge problem with with homeless shelters in that they're only for overnight, so they have to come in. The homeless have to come in late at night and leave very early in the morning. Uh, so, for example, a homeless person who's trying to get ahead by working night shift really can't avail themselves of using a homeless shelter um, or someone. And, and also, you are effectively homeless most of the time. You're only have, you have a place to sleep, but you don't have a place to stay. And part of being housed is having a place to stay during the day when you can uh, you know, get yourself together uh, try to to clean up, make yourself, uh, you know, get, try to try to like look for work and, and strategize about finding work, looking on the internet. You don't have the, you know, the, the homeless shelters are really just flop houses. They're not really, um, you know, a a true twenty four seven shelter, a roof over your head. And in many cases, if you shelter people first, um, they're 
a lot of pe- a lot of people who are mentally ill their their mental illness comes from being outside all the time and they start to get better just from having 24/7 a roof over their head no and, and i've talked before i was uh, i lived in my car when i first moved out to southern california when i was 18 or 19 years old and lived in my car a total of about 6 months and what you're saying is exactly right the problem is not actually you know, when you're asleep, you're asleep. So if I could park on the beach, most nights the cops wouldn't bang on the window and wake me up. But the problem is three in the afternoon, especially at that point, because there was no such thing as Starbucks when I was 18. So where do you go? And you know, the mall or whatever. But if mall security sees you showing up three days in a row, They'll eventually take notice of you and ask you to leave. Does it? So what you're talking about is exactly right. Now, how would you solve that, Ted? Well, um, there's a lot of uh, warehoused or abandoned real estate in this country. Uh, so I would uh, divert a lot of the money that is squandered on the Department of Defense into seizing by eminent domain or by just for uh, temporary means uh, these ap- empty apartments and houses, and I would create a whole network, uh, a, you know, a department of homeless services that that conducts triage and divides people into, you know, people who are just sort of temporarily down on their luck uh, and just need, you know, a place to stay until they get back on their feet, and then people who are sort of in between and have other problems, perhaps substance abuse and so on, and they 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 would get the social services and psychological counseling and, and drug addiction treatment that they require. And then the third category of people who really are mentally ill and uh, you know deranged and suffering most likely from uh, schizophrenia uh, would, you know, they need to be institutionalized. Uh, hopefully they can get better. But, you know, I would, I would make this a top national priority. I think it's a moonshot issue. And uh, it's 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 shameful in a country as wealthy as the United States that we have not taken this issue seriously at all uh, for a variety of reasons. I'll tell you what else is available for real estate. And I've, I've as I travel around the country, I used to travel a lot all over the country. Big box stores have closed down places like Borders Bookstore or Blockbuster or a lot of these you know, stores that have gone bankrupt and are never coming back. There's never going to be a blockbuster again. Video rental, doing it on the internet is better. So there's a lot of these large spaces in commercial areas that are completely open, not being used, and aren't really going to come back. And I think those could be utilized as well. What do you say, Ted? Totally. I mean, Lee, there's a website that's called something like Dead Malls, and it's just nothing but bankrupt, completely empty malls. Uh, most, a lot of malls in this country are either half empty or or fully or completely abandoned. There's a lot of space around. Not to mention in the Rust Belt, there's factories uh, that are either completely empty or mostly empty. And I would say if if they also had some educational services and all i mean is like computers that are directed to 
educational stuff on, let's say, YouTube as opposed to porn. Does it make sense? So in other words, you say you can sit here and watch because there's so much you can learn everything on YouTube at this point. So if a person sat there and wanted to learn job skills, anything from drawing to plumbing to does that make sense? But any sort of job skills people could learn. And that is a low cost way to provide skills to people. Ted? Well, that's right. And then also the thing is, if you provide people with 24-7 shelter, they have an address. And if they have an address, they can receive government support checks to which they are already entitled under existing programs, but they're unable to receive them because they don't have a fixed address. Yeah, but see, I'm so skeptical of government that the idea, because I think about this too, but uh, I don't think that the government providing that is going to solve it. And so let's turn to climate change. My issue with climate change and people who criticize it are often said to be science denialists. I'm not in denial about the science. I'm unqualified on some of it, but I'm not in denial. But I don't trust the government to solve it. And so we have this big climate confab where Biden's supposed to be meeting with Xi Jinping from China on Monday. This big climate, do you think that this climate conference or anything the government's doing is actually going to make a damn bit of difference to solve any problems that may be going on with the climate? Ted? Absolutely not, Lee. I mean, I think I agree with Greta Thunberg. Um, it's just a bunch of blather. It's a bunch of talk. Uh, but, you know, the, uh, we, but the, the numbers are clear. Just about two weeks ago, the U.N., uh, issued a report saying that basically we hadn't even achieved the world hasn't even moved one percent of the direction that it uh, that it had committed to under the Paris Climate Accord, which itself was w too wimpy and didn't go nearly far enough. So no, I don't think um, COP twenty seven or whatever it's called is is gonna is gonna get the job done. It's it's a joke. It's just you know it's it's an effort to try to tell us that they care and they want to do something, but the the truth is that you know that just fundamental shifts in uh, in our economic and social relations uh, you know have to occur yesterday it's probably already too late to, to stop it of course um, all the scientists say but you know we would have to have massive reductions in carbon emissions we would have to start thinking as a global community instead of a bunch of you know 200 and plus nation states uh, we would have to stop putting uh, capitalist profits, quarterly profits, ahead of, uh, you know, as our top priority. We would have to try, you know, basically just be thinking first and foremost about greenhouse gases, and we're not doing it. And, and so let me say, I'm not in favor of the lockdowns. I'm not in favor of people being locked in their house, and I'm not in favor of that sort of thing. But during the COVID-19 era, did you see what happened in Venice, Italy, Ted? Um, yes, the the, uh, the the canals became clean and the fish returned. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, that's exactly right. What I'm saying is during the COVID-19 lockdowns in Italy, in Venice, when you left the canals alone, there was not so much human traffic and human interaction. 
the horribly polluted canals came back. Actually, you could see it. I mean, I just saw pictures. I've never been to Italy. But uh, uh, my brother's been to Venice. But he talked about how he went over. The canals were disgusting. So after a few months of less human activity due to COVID, the canals came back. And I think that anybody who doesn't think that human action impacts the environment is doesn't know anything about anything. And I think that's proof. I'm not saying I think that should happen. We should lock down everybody as a solution. But Ted, do you see my hint of a point there that people should be realistic about humans' impact on the environment? We are in complete agreement. Uh, first of all, I don't think that we need, we wish the lockdowns were a good idea for a for a variety of reasons, um, you know, it, but yes, um, you can, the lockdown definitely showed that, you know, here in New York City, we had uh, far more songbirds uh, around Manhattan. And even now, residually, um, there's blue jays in my backyard. Uh, they, they were never there before. Um, the, I always think of the story of Lake Erie, which was declared biologically dead, even of bacteria, in the 1970s by the EPA. And was that, uh, the, due, was that the one that, that caught on fire? That was a river that debouched into the into uh, into the into Lake Erie, but the entire uh, which uh, okay, caught on yeah. fire in Cleveland. Um, but the lake, the lake itself, which was you know, it's a vast inland sea. Uh, they, they the EPA said was completely dead of life. And the EPA said so, but um, there was a major uh, re uh, recession in the early 80s and a lot of deindustrialization, a lot of factories that had been dumping pollution into Lake Erie uh, went under and closed in, in the late 70s and early 80s um, during an economic period that, you know, in many ways was similar to ours with high inflation and uh, deindustrialization. So anyway, uh, by the late 1980s, the lake had come back. And uh, now uh, it's a, you know, you can catch really big fish there. Uh, it is a, you know, major sports fishing destination. Uh, it, the, the, the lake is, you know, it's, it's, it's much, much better than it, than it had been. So it just shows what happens when you stop gunking up the environment. So uh, Republicans get labeled as anti-environmentalists and anti-science. And I resent that. And also... My experience is rural Republicans, people who live in the country, I wouldn't call them environmentalists exactly, but I call them conservationists. They're people who live off the land and hunt and fish. And those people love the land. Does it make sense? And you're a city mouse, Ted, in Manhattan. But does what I'm saying make any sense? Uh, well, certainly, yeah. I mean, they, they yeah, they have to... Uh... I certainly travel to those places a lot, and uh, that is they have you know they have people who hunt, who fish, um, you know people who farm. Obviously, have to take the environment very seriously. And they never get even by Republicans. They don't hint at the pro-environment Republicans that are out there, millions of them, people who are rural, and I think and. What they could do by coming forward and saying, look, I'm pro-environment, but I'm not in favor of this solution, 
is they could posit an alternate solution. But I think the problem with the GOP right now, I was thinking about this election, going back to the idea of political change. I'm not surprised a red wave didn't occur because I think ultimately the Republicans were running against the Democrats. They did not have a positive agenda. Um, I think that's lot- true. Yeah. 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 So comment on that, Ted. No, I, th- I think that is true. I, um, you know, I think, look, when, when you look at results like this, there's always several factors. Um, I agree with that. I think, that, uh, Lee, they, the, you have to run an affirmative uh, platform. Uh, you have to seem like you're oriented toward the future, which neither party really was this time. Uh, but the Republicans weren't. Um, the, you know, the Democrats were obsessed with January 6th and Trump. And the Republicans were also kind of had Trump hanging over them. Um, and the specter of his, uh, you know, his his third run for the presidency. Um, I think also we all kind of, or at least I did, underestimated the impact of abortion. Uh, it turns out it's what's super interesting to me is that uh, that the anti-abortion measures failed in Montana and uh, Kentucky, which are obviously very conservative states. I mean, I'm from Ohio. I know Kentucky very well. Um, you know, it's not Mississippi, but it's a, it's a red state, um, you know, and that that showcases the libertarian tendency in American politics and particularly among Republicans. Um, you know, a lot of Republicans do not did not were not comfortable with the government telling women that they had no options whatsoever if they got pregnant. And I've, I, I've said before, I think the position that people are going to settle on is first trimester abortions is okay. I think Republicans who are criticizing Democrats when they point out they want no restrictions on abortion, third trimester is okay. That's a line of attack. In the final few seconds we have, Ted, what say you? I think uh, we're going to get, we're going to end up some like, somewhere there, but it's not going to be a national bill. I think it's going to be a series of statewide measures that are going to sort of spread. So there's still going to be states, um, you know, basically where a state's laws are on abortion will be a reflection of just how left or how far right it is. Uh, It'll be completely unquestioned in Massachusetts. Uh, It'll be completely impossible in Mississippi. And everything else will be a a gradient in between. Ted Rawl, great conversation as always. Try not to throw any Molotov cocktails, even at Eric Adams. So Ted Rawl, and send me an invoice, and I'll get that portrait. Ted, send me mail, and I'll get, get that portrait from you. Ted Rawl, great guest on The Backstory. On the backstory, second hour on a Friday, last hour of the week. We're joined by the great Tyler Nixon this hour, and we're taking your calls 202 521 1320. It's the backstory. So, great appearance by Ted. Won't you say, Rod? Yeah, I think you guys were definitely right about uh, the Republicans not having any you know, real platform they were running on. They're just running against the Democrats. Yes, and it 
and in retrospect, it should have been obvious. But I think on a lot of things, like the environment, take that. The Republicans' agenda seems to be just no. Am I right? Yeah, they're not. They're not. Uh, they're not really engaging in a, in a, in a fair conversation. Because I mean, if if you wanted to, why don't you bring a, a scientist who is you know differ from uh, with the, the climate, pe- you know, people who are uh, gung ho for climate change, and also like you said, uh, conservationists, you know, people who live off the land, you know, farmers, hunters. Um, uh, a quick story: I uh, just had a friend from Maryland tell me that uh, he was hunting for deer because I, I believe it's deer season. Uh, and uh, he killed a deer, and he got uh, got fined, and he has to go to court. They took the deer as well, uh, and he got a twelve hundred dollar fine. Uh, so I didn't get I didn't get to really get in deep conversation with him about what happened, but so that tells you what happened in Maryland when you hunt for deer. That's interesting because the deer in that part of the country, the Mid Atlantic, also caused big tick problems. Is that right? I believe yeah, Lyme disease. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So you'd think that you'd want the deer thinned out. So coming up this half hour, we have uh, in a half hour, we have the great Tyler Nixon from the right explaining a lot of this stuff. And Rod, take us to the boom. You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. See, because here's the thing. Temperatures are either rising or not. Now, a lot of Republicans like to debate whether humans had an impact on that, okay? Now, I don't know the science well enough, but one answer is duh, because, you know, to say that human action has no impact on the environment is absurd. Would you agree with that, Rod? Yeah, no, 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 for sure. Obviously, we're here. We have to have some type of impact. Uh, We eat, we breathe, we... uh poop, things like that. Uh, we use plastics and things like that. But it's just how significant is our impact is, is the what should be the debate. And I don't think, I, I'll be honest, I don't think the sky is falling, but I think temperatures are rising. So there are consequences of that. In other words, I don't think that we're all going to die in an environmental apocalypse. I don't think that's coming. I don't think it's that severe, but the temperatures rising and, for instance, increased hurricanes like we're seeing. They had a big one. I mentioned this when we talked to Darius Mayfield the other day. He was going to Florida on vacation. Sure enough, the next day, the hurricane hit central Florida. You saw what happened in Orlando there, Rod? Yeah, I did. I did see what happened here. Yeah. But I believe um that this it's been a slow hurricane season. So I know we've seen two recently, but it's uh from what I've from what I know that this has also been a uh a, a slow hurricane season or a weak hurricane season compared and, to other and, and that's the problem. with a lot of the stuff, there are uh multiple factors. Multiple things are true. So that's true, but on the other hand, it's a bit late in the season. You don't expect hurricanes in November. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, here here in VA, it's 73 degrees. So it's very warm, you know, close to Thanksgiving, a couple, you know, about two, you know, less than two weeks away from Thanksgiving. So if states need to, as a result of what whatever's causing a change in climate, if they need to put more money into hurricane emergency fund, I'm 
you know, that then they have to. That's what they have to do. But and we have to be realistic about it. But I don't see on a number of issues like health care. I don't see any Republican realistic alternative. Let's say homelessness. Let's say Republicans have done a good job. Republicans are good at pointing out problems. I'll put it that way. They always point out problems. Crime's bad. Great. What are you going to do about it? I, I don't hear that answer. They talk about how many people got killed in Chicago every week. But just electing a Republican doesn't make the gang and drug problem there go away. And by the way, just making drugs more illegal doesn't fix a drug problem. Because does that make sense, Ron? Right. Yeah, no, for sure. They don't they don't really uh, put out a clearer message of, of what is going wrong. Like, I mean, they talk about bail reform, but, you know, we've, we've had, um, uh, well, I don't know why I'm, I'm just. Um, Michelle Eskenazi. Yeah, Michelle Eskenazi. And it's it's very complicated. Bail is very, we've had uh, uh, also um, Bounty Tank on. Uh, he was actually did a, uh, a, a town hall a couple of weeks ago. No, uh, earlier last week. And he was talking about local elections and how, you know, they need to uh, elect judges who are going to keep these pe- these guys in jail. So you know it's a uh, it, it's hard to get that across that that message across to people, but Republicans are making it even harder by not engaging. So on that note, let's get the UK climate uh, clip ready. Let's get another clip here. Hit it. Please, I understand the point you're making. You are here today to justify the tactics. You're effectively. Do you love those children more than you love fossil fuels? You are committing a crime. Why should that's what we're asking you to do? We're asking you to side with young people who who are asking our government very politely, in line with the UN, saying that we need to come off fossil fuels. With with the knowledge that we're going to go over 1.5 degrees and this will undermine the rule of law. We're asking people shouting at me to just. Look, you are breaking the law. You have a massive platform. You have a massive platform, right? Oh, here we go. You have a massive platform, a microphone yeah. that you can use to tell people about the situation we're in, and you are not using it, right? So for those of you, you are listening, not the, using it, for those that are listening on the someone radio, someone like me, an ordinary person who is yeah. fighting for their future, is having to take the microphone in a situation like this and having to tell your viewers the situation we are in because people like you. Do not. So for those people, people like you, you are giving no as idea. much as a death sentence no to the, your viewers as our government is, as the fossil fuel companies are. So, and, and that goes for all this. Week. By the way, for, the, for those of you listening, wondering what the banging on the microphone was, Mr. McGovern has apparently, I think, it's, is it glue? You seem to have glued Absolutely. yourself to the microphone, so that's fantastic. If you're not going to use the microphone for the people of this country, the people all around the world, to let them know what's you've happening to their lives right now, you, you've been invited someone on Someone else program. will. You've been invited on this program to tell us about what the aims of your organization are. You've you've come on to talk to us about the aims of your organization. You've gone through some. Yeah, so I'll also say I would kill myself if I had listened to that lady's voice every day. Rod, could you <laughs> could you deal with that? No, that's a young girl. That's one of the girls that threw that tomato soup on the uh, on the uh, on the one of the paintings over there. So, um, you know. It's just they've recruited young people and they've programmed them as, you know, human drones to now, you know, climate change is uh, existential right now, Lee. I mean, today, tomorrow, we might not wake up tomorrow, Lee. That's how existential it is. And she may be young, but her voice qualifies as a form of birth control. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. And also, she throws soup on everything. And who needs that? You know, you come home from a hard day at work, and your girlfriend's throwing soup on your wall. That's a bummer. Am I too harsh? She better clean it up. Right. Uh, And so fill in in the jokes. So uh, let's let's hear uh, little Ron Paul. Sorry, little Rand Paul. Rand Paul is saying he's going to go after Fauci, right? So let's hear Rand Paul talk about Fauci. Hit it. No bureaucrat. Are you listening, Dr. Fauci? No bureaucrat should be above the law. No bureaucrat should be allowed to deny information to Congress, and no bureaucrat should be allowed to lie to Congress. When I return to the Senate as chairman... promise you this, the COVID cover-up will end. And I promise you this, I will subpoena every last scrap of paper from our friend, Dr. Fauci. At least six million people died worldwide from COVID, and Congress has not had one hearing into the origins of the virus. As chairman, I will not only hold Dr. Fauci accountable, we will finally investigate why your tax dollars were sent to fund dangerous research in Wuhan, and we will make sure it never happens again. Now, so uh, I think Rand Paul is one of the fighters in Congress and should be supported. Rod, do you think that COVID is going to be on the agenda. It looks like the Republicans have the House, right? Is that been established yet? Uh, it's not fully established yet, but it looks like, yeah, that's a, that, that's what's going to happen. So, but the Senate is up in the air. Now, I, you know, insulting Herschel Walker's intelligence, I was listening to By Any Means Necessary, the show before ours on Sputnik, and a guest was just freely calling Herschel Walker stupid seems to be do you get the indication that he is stupid rod you know they look at him as like a stupid jock all he knows is sports and you know womanizing because you know he has he has multiple children multiple women but you know let's go backward a little bit lee uh you know uh hank johnson took cynthia mckinney's seat in congress and he's famous for saying guam's gonna tip over i don't think oh actually i know herschel walker's not that dumb so we skip over Hank Johnson, but Herschel Walker is the stupidest man to ever who's going to become possibly become a senator. And you're right. It is a certain anti-jock bias, right? Yeah, because it's a manly thing. That's why there's an attack on sports. I, you know, we can't. Uh, I know you're not into really sports, but uh, uh, that that much. But you know, like football. I was watching football yesterday. It was the uh, Panthers versus the Falcons. And even in in football, they've uh, wussified it a little bit. If you you know used to be known for the big hits, if it's a big hit now, it's a flag and it's unnecessary roughness. So they've taken the aggressiveness out of football. Basketball is pretty much just a three point contest now. Uh, the only things left that have an aggressive nature, even baseball. You know, when you used to come into home plate. I used to be able to crash into the uh, 
the catcher sometimes a little bit. They they took that out of baseball. Uh, you know, the only sports left are boxing and MMA, which is any type of aggressiveness now. So, um, but the Republicans may take the House, and because for one thing, Lauren Boebert in Colorado barely it was a narrow victory, fifty point something versus forty nine point something. But Lauren Boebert, the controversial Tea Party Republican, won her seat. Correct? You're seeing that, Rod? Um. I didn't. See, I didn't see this, that they've uh, officially announced that. Uh, I saw it was really. She was within like 67 votes last time I saw. Uh, and you know, obviously MSNBC is already saying that she's going to lose and need to look for a new job. So, Commissioner, Andrew, what are you what are you saying? Okay, okay. So I'll get to Tarif after this. Let's play that clip of MSNBC disrespecting Lauren Bubbert. It is. What's the meaning is uh, Lauren Boebert, the second most popular QAnon congressperson in MAGA, what if she goes, what if she loses? And what job will she have? I don't even think shooters exist anymore. I don't think shooters exist anymore. Well, I guess it might be a, it might be a gain for, for, for only fans. Uh, I don't know what she would do in this scenario, but I think that for, for symbolically to take out one of the poster childs of the MAGA movement, Someone who has been an absolute disgrace to the office that she holds uh, would be a great feather in the cap and, and, and would, I think, uh, cement the fact that this has been an absolute unmitigated disaster for the MAGA wing of the Republican. I think still mutely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a crazy clip to uh, say that she's, uh, she's going to be on OnlyFans doing type of, uh, I guess, just a, just a beautiful woman showing her body, I guess. And uh, that's, that's definitely... Wild to have that uh, be, be played. Uh, you still with us, Lee? Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, Rod. I stepped away for a second. So, what do you make of MSNBC just blatantly? You know, it really does bother me. And I think that I, I'm I'm not trying to play the race or gender card, but they talk about Lauren Bobert and Herschel Walker that I don't think they would talk about them. If they were a white man, just blatantly saying they're stupid, I don't think they'd necessarily, you know, use that line of attack against a lot of people. What do you think, Rod? Yeah, I mean, that's a weird attack because they're saying she's an attractive woman and she's going to end up on OnlyFans. And, you know, for Joy Reid to, you know, be laughing at it. And that's, I don't know if you were, that's the guy from uh, Breitbart, that Asian guy used to work for Breitbart saying that. And, you know, um, you know, you the, just, guy, the guy who used to be at Breitbart, yes, who's yes. their PR guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kurt. And, right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, um, like I said, they just, they just keep going lower and lower, but they keep presenting you like they have the, the virtual high ground. Yes. And, uh, they don't even just, they don't hide it behind any intellectual content. Just insults are enough, but let's go to the calls. 202 521 1320 is the number. Tarif, you're on the line. Uh, how y'all doing? Thanks, y'all, for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free June and signs. Um, I have some solutions for the uh, GOP, what they have to do for now on, to, for 2024, and also to help Herschel Walker. The, the, uh, first of all, they need to uh, spend more time with the libertarians, working with them. They have to make sure, and also they have to make sure they put the Green Party on ballots. 
they um they have to go after the black vote, especially the black male vote. And this is going to tie into Georgia, dealing with Herschel Walker, and they can use it in 2024. In Georgia, it was basically the Democratic Party, you know, uh, was basically talking down to in a con- uh, condescending, patronizing way towards black men. And that's why Stacey Adams lost that race. And they have to use the same, the, the GOP have to work with, you know, black African men, I mean, African American men to try to uh, get Herschel Walker over the cross, of, uh, um, over the finish line. And also, they got to um, start saying to the African American men and the, to the public about STEM and also infrastructure. STEM going to feed into the infrastructure, infrastructure going to feed into STEM. And STEM, what I mean by STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, that's going to, you know, train people. They got to come up with programs to train people so they can get the jobs as plumbers, carpenters, engineers, scientists, the medical field, technology experts to feed into the system where they can um, get paid and, you know, you have uh, a job like everyone else. And you do that cross board, that's going to help, you know, help them out in 2024 because that tone towards black men that was used in, um, excuse me, in uh, what you call that in um, Georgia, and the condescending tone was used in other states too, but that's why states have was lost. So it's a crack that I see that the, the DNC have and the Republicans have to use it for now. If Trump won away, thank y'all for taking my call. So I'm not interested in Trump winning at this point. I really want Trump to go away. I'm getting I'm getting pretty sick of him. Now talk about what happened with him attacking Glenn Youngkin, the the governor of Virginia today, Rod. Trump put that out on True Social. Yeah, he put out an official statement that uh, you know, that Youngkin didn't um, didn't thank him for helping him win the election in, in Virginia, and you know, the, the, one of the first, and I think in the first paragraph he uh, he, he put in parentheses Youngkin, and it's like, doesn't that sound Chinese? And he's like, oh, anyway, and it's like, yeah, it's just like. This guy just—he's just self-destructing now, and I think it's—I think it's because he's not on Twitter, and True Social is just a, a echo chamber. So it's like you know, Trump, you're the greatest thing ever, and he's surrounded by people, uh, you know, whoever his advisors are, are surrounding him. They—they they never say no to him. Everything he does is great. Every every joke he makes is funny, and so now he's attacking Youngkin, DeSantis, and whoever else doesn't you know uh, thank him for winning re-election or thank him for the, the popularity they have. And I'm saying. Trump is losing supporters every single day now in the last three, four days. He's not picking up. No one's going, you know what? I wasn't sure about Trump, but now that he's attacking DeSantis and Youngkin, not criticism. I'm going to say this. Both are open to criticism, but his name sounds Chinese. First off, it doesn't. Does does Youngkin sound Chinese? No, it was a stupid joke, Lee. He put a, he put a little dash in between Young and Kin, and so he should try to make it. I mean, I mean that's not even funny. I guess maybe if you're saying it, but you writing it makes it even look stupider. Ah, most honorable Duncan. Did I, did I make it sound Chinese there? <laughs> I, I just don't get it, man. I don't I don't I don't get it. You know, as they say, as old we older we get, we get we get more as a childish. So I think he's reverting more childish. Well, that's clearly true in my case. So. Let's the next clip. 
Let's play another reason I hate John Bolton. I really don't like John Bolton. And I really resent Steve Bannon getting Bolton, keeping Bolton's career alive. But let's, because undoubtedly, Bannon, by putting him on the Breitbart radio show, it wasn't just when I was on. Bolton, by being on the Breitbart radio show every week, it kept his career alive. Would you, would you agree, Rod? Yeah, that I mean, uh, I, I, you know, John Bolton's just not the type of person. I mean, I, I actually listened to a couple of when when uh, he was on Breitbart, and he was just you know, just pro war and just pro military intervention all over the place. And so let's hear the John Bolton clip and see why he also is dangerous. He hates free speech. Hit it. Expect us to trust when you lie about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. You essentially genocided the Iraqi people. And you covered up war crimes in Afghanistan, sir. Why did you why did you celebrate the arrest of Julian Assange? Why do you think that's acceptable, sir? Is, is, is celebrating war crimes acceptable? Don't touch me, sir. Why did you tell why did you do this, Why did you why did you come to the Another another example of First Amendment words. John Bolton a question on why he wanted to cover up war crimes in Afghanistan. Now, is that the same guys who were yelling at AOC and Obama? No, I don't think he's a. This is the guy's name's uh, Taylor Hansen. I, I don't. I've never, uh, or maybe I've forgotten about him. But uh, I just saw his, he posted this on Twitter and it came on my feed. And I thought it but was. But let me say this: great job, Taylor. I don't know who did that, but. I've said for about a week now, have I, have I not been saying it, Rod? People need to go after Republicans in these public forums. And going after Bolton in that way, calling him out as a warmonger, I, I noticed there wasn't as much yelling. Did you? Um, some yeah, of, no, yeah, some in still- the audience, they didn't like it, but they didn't yell at the guy and seem like they want to beat him up. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, you, you could hear a few ladies telling them to shut up, you know, shut up and go away. Because, <laughs> you know, we got to hear from the uh, all-powerful John Bowen. But, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too uh, physical or anything like that. I can see saying shut up because it, on one hand, I don't particularly like speech where you interrupt someone else's speech. Does that make sense? I really don't. I, I don't like it. But this is such a big issue. And I think the only way... You get through the noise. You cut through the noise is by doing something like that. And I'm in favor of it on guys like Bolton. And But I understand why people don't like it. Because if they come to hear John Bolton, they want to hear John Bolton, does it? They don't want to hear someone else. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, Lee. But it's, it's a valid question, and I think it should be, you know, if you're a supporter of somebody and somebody— Says, hey, you know, this guy's a you know pro-war, and he's he's never seen a country that we shouldn't in, invade and and st- start military intervention, you know. And I didn't know that, you know. I would be, I would kind of want to hear the answer, but you know, John Bone just says, you know, he makes fun of the fr- First Amendment. So that, that's all. He, that's all you get from him. And I think the the activists who are interrupting these things can actually be- help themselves by saying to the audience. I'm in favor of free speech, and I'll let Bolton talk after I ask him this one question, which I don't think he'll answer. 
Does that make sense, Rod? By saying to the audience, look, I understand this is unusual, but I think this is a big issue. I think a lot of people in the audience, if they're Republicans, would go, okay, I want to hear the answer too. Does that make sense? Yeah, but uh, if, if you remember AOC, Elizabeth Warren, and then Bernie Sanders, uh, we, we couldn't play the Bernie Sanders one because there's like a lot of music. But uh, you know, he asked somebody who was asking him about supporting Ukraine. Like, who he comes up to him and he says, "Who pays you? Who paid you?" And you know that. So that's his response. AOC just starts dancing. Elizabeth Warren, you know, uh, her supporters usher out the people. So they're they're, they're not going to answer at all anyway. But uh, you know, so it is what it is. No. And by the way, no one's ever paid me to sit on a lawn chair and hold up an impeached Biden sign. That I, I do not get any bonus or any commission or anything like that. But I'm not going to do it. Do you know how freaking cold it is here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Right now, it's 10 below freezing, 22 degrees, Rod, right now. If you think I'm going and sitting on a lawn chair, you're nuts. I love Assange. I support him, but not 22 degrees worth. Does it make sense? Yeah, no, I think people would probably call 911 to make sure you were okay and, and you know, in the head for, for sitting out there in a lawn chair. <laughs> it's just too miserable out. But it's not as miserable as it's going to get. That's the thing I tell myself. When I see 22 degrees, I remind myself it's going to get much colder. It gets much colder in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It'll be 40 degrees below that. Negative 20, negative 20 degrees at some point. I guarantee you, I'll, I'll, I'll bitch about it when it happens. Make sense, Rod? Yeah, it's something you never forget, Lee. Uh, you know, you ne- you just never forget that type of cold. You know, I'm from I'm from Philly, and you know, we get we get the hot and the humidity, and we get the cold and the snow and all that. But when I was living in Midwest at the n- northern part of Minnesota, uh, you know, I, just quickly, I, you know, I used to talk to my girlfriend on the phone, uh, going to the convenience store. And I would wipe my nose, you know, because your nose is run when, uh, when it's cold out. And I would, my mustache would, would come off because immediately it would freeze and it would just turn into little icicles and just break off. That's right. And that can be a problem if you had a runny nose, too, because the, then the stuff that ran out freezes. It's very bad. So I'm just staying indoors. But let's play the last couple we have is Biden at, I, I think, I'm going to say this. And it's content free. It's not valid criticism. But I think the Environmental Conference name, COP27, is a dumb name. Can I say that, Rod? Because I think it's a dumb name. COP27, what does it sound like? Sounds like the police. Right. It sounds like, like law enforcement. But no, COP27 is the environment. So here's Biden at COP27. Hit it. Recently concluded that our significant climate investment will, quote, help turbocharge the emerge the the excuse me turbocharge the emerging global clean energy clean energy economy. I was reading their quote. Sorry. Now what? What was that, Rod? I, I, I he lost me. Maybe am I Fetterman or is he? Did did I not understand that because I've had a stroke or did not? Did I not understand it because he's Joe Biden? Which one, Rod? Uh, I think I don't think anybody really understood it. It was funny. I, you know, I didn't grab the clip because it just didn't. It wouldn't make sense unless you watched it. But Biden was talking, 
and it wasn't an applause line and you could just hear like a lady start clapping so it's like you know they they, they probably have like a sign behind them like clap you know like you know they do on uh, the late night shows right and and not many people maybe the people can't read a teleprompter because I didn't hear much clapping so he's on the line let's go to a short break and when we come back the great Tyler Nixon is joining us for the last half hour of the week on the backstory backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM and AM 1390 in the capital of the Empire of Lies, Washington, D.C. Joining us now, and we could not ask for a better last guest to round out the week on the backstory than our friend, the great Tyler Nixon. How are you doing, Tyler? Hey, Lee. It's good to be with you as always. So l- let me... I'm, I'm just going to ask you a, a general question and then take as much time to answer however you want, because we're at the beginning of the half hour. So I doubt you can talk for 40 minutes on this, but uh, that, that'd be too much. But up to 29 minutes, talk about the elections. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think, first off, I'll ask you specifically, a lot of the media is making this out to be a disaster for the Republicans because there wasn't a red wave. But I would say there was a red, you know, something. And I think the Republicans are going to take the House, which is all I wanted, really. So what did you think of the elections? Todd Nixon. Lee, uh, Lee, there was a red wave. But just like in 2020, it, is, it has been stolen by a criminal cartel posing as our, the leadership of our government right now uh, and, and a major political party. I mean, let's face it. There's no the, the, the chaos in Arizona, the uh, the, the same, ty- you know, uh, uh, trucks rolling up full of uh, you know, being unloaded in the middle of the night in Michigan and, and where you know, the, the the feckless, frankly, McCarthyite wing and McConnell wing of the GOP who sit on their asses, frankly, and say nothing and, and are, are cowed by the, the typical leftist media into challenging even the most egregious vote fraud uh, you know, uh, instances and schemes, even to the point of stealing the presidency just because, oh, well, you know, they don't care for Donald Trump. Well, you know, this is what they've wrought. And now they're they're refining further and further uh, this vote fraud that's going on. I mean, I'm sorry, I do not believe that in the first time in our history, with a, a presidency uh, and a, and frankly a, a government, including the Congress, that has has brought so much destruction in the lives of everyday Americans. You know, not some distant scandal, some Russian collusion bullshit, but you know, actual inflationary. Uh, uh, destruction and devastation. I mean, you have an open border. You have just all these elements of chaos going on, and slippery Joe dementia Biden, this this a hole who I've had to suffer for the last forty years, can sit there and gloat as though he's the only president, midterm president, 
uh, first term, midterm president in history who didn't get drubbed with anything close to these conditions, anything, you know, under Obama in 2010, it was nothing close to the economic chaos that we're seeing and other chaos that we're seeing now. And yet Joe Biden is, uh, we're barely just by slimmest margins, maybe going to take the house by a few seats and, and the Senate's up in the air, back down to the same place. They stole it two years ago uh, at Georgia, excuse me. Um, and you know, I just, it disgusts me. And until we have real leadership and frankly, DeSantis is the model in so many ways. What he did in Florida, you notice wherever they trued the vote, uh, wherever they made it so that you had to have you know, voter ID, that you had to have uh, just any type of any type of uh, uh, restrictions or not restrictions, but any type of real uh, accountability with regard to balloting, uh, the Republicans won and won, and won handily. And not because there's any sort of cheating or going on. It's because that's the true vote. And, you know, we have, we, like I said, we're not, we no longer have a political opposition in, in the Democrat Party. We have a criminal syndicate that is intent on holding power and being the most absolutely hypocritical, demagogic, uh, just reprehensible sort of uh, corrupt, corrupt criminals that has pro- have probably ever disgraced American uh, political life. And that's, in, I mean, that's over the entire two and a half cent, nearly two and a half centuries. Uh, I'm just disgusted. And I'm telling you, they are flirting with, with, you know, sparking civil war, sparking real, a real revolt. And, and, you know, who knows what that revolt may be. It may be a tax revolt, but whatever it is, Americans are not going to stand for being stuck with this bunch of communist criminals, fascist criminals, really, uh, with no way, no release valve. I mean, let's face it in every instance where we've had this type of uh, over overweening Democrat fascist leadership, whether it was Obama, whether it was first term Clinton, the American public had the release valve and they handed Congress back to the to the opposite party, to the Republican Party. And there was balance achieved. The Democrats are busy just trying to show that they can thwart and uh, suppress and, and destroy the basic franchise of the entire electorate. Uh, and then run around gloating about it. I mean, I think even the mainstream media f- people were were sort of taken aback because they also expected what we've seen in every single instance like this in history, and certainly in our lifetimes, which is a stunning defeat of the uh, the whole the you know the ruling party in Congress, and that didn't happen. So they're almost like kind of like oh, I, you could tell there was a sort of a stunned, almost stunned sort of muted, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't the usual either, uh, you know, a victory lap sort of self-congratulatory, uh, crap that they would normally trowel out. And there was also certainly not any of the dismal, cause I think they were at the same time as being shocked, they were also pleasantly surprised in their minds. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, and, and they'll, of course, they're smart enough to seize on it and run with it. So the point where you have these people, I mean, what kind of what kind of mentality does it take, first of all, to elect or, or purport to elect a John Uncle Festerneck, much less to actually tout this guy as a potential presidential candidate? I mean, this is the Democrat leftist. Uh, this is the degeneracy that they have pushed on this country to where we have a little a literal being considered on, the, on that side, a, a, a total 
an automaton being fed his lines electronically who can barely sputter out. I mean, he makes Joe Biden sound like Aristotle. And, you know, that, so that being said, I want to touch on Lauren Boebert, who, thank you, God, I believe is is pretty much just about there in winning her election. Uh, she was down initially and they were I mean, the, the, the Twitter mobsters, the, uh, you know, the whatever you want to call them, that I call them the left twat uh, mob trolls were absolutely just savaging her in her. Uh, she, all she said was uh, something they like, uh, thank God or praise right. God. Yes. Yeah. Although they were, no, they were doing their already pre victory laps and now they can't wait till she's gone. And this disgusting, just gutter snipe talking about only fans and this, you know, what if I said, Oh, well, well, uh, Stacey Abrams should go back to street walking, you know, go back to being a hooker. And I mean, there would be just total outrage. It's just, this is the disgusting, awful. Well, do you, just, do you like think said, part of it with Lauren Bubbert? And by the way, has anyone ever told you, Tyler, that you're high energy? <laughs> well, yeah, when I'm when I'm when I'm riled up for sure. I mean, I guess sometimes I don't feel it. No, I'm high blood pressure. I, I know yeah, that. Again, you are the perfect guest to go into the weekend because you are very high energy, and that's a good thing. So, do you think that so part of the reason? Do you think the Democrats hate Lauren Bobert? extra hard because she's attractive because she's a good looking, you know, middle-aged woman, barely middle-aged, but, but I'll call, do you think part of the reason they hate her is that she is good looking? I, I mean, psychologically, I really think that's a factor. I think they hate her extra hard because she's attractive. What do you say, Tyler? Um, yes, I think there's the, I think it's, it's kind of like, they're racist. If if, to, uh, if if a black person is conservative, they're, they're as racist as you can get towards that person. And I think they're misogynistic towards a, a an attractive conservative woman. But I think more than that, though, is is very much sort of what they why they hate Trump. I think ultimately is because they can't control her. They can't get her. To, they can't get her to line up with the milk toast uh, establishment line and sort of give them the, give the bland, uh, bromides that, that are used to coming out of politicians. And she just is absolutely, I mean, I've been blown away by some of the things she said in her boldness and, and courage, frankly, knowing that they would savage her. Um, but you know, I think, no, I think it does. I think it does add to that factor because it, it, it removes something for them to go after her for. In other words, if she was just some hideous, uh, just, you know, whatever, just an un, a very unattractive person. They can, in their smug minds, be like, well, she's, you know, she's ugly. She's this, but no, she's got it all. I mean, she's, she is uh, independent. Right. I, I think, and she's, I un, think her un, un, makes her a more compelling spokesman for the position. That too, yes. Absolutely. Right. Um, because she's also young. She's, she comes across with that youthful vigor, but speaks with the, uh, the rebel rebellious firepower of, of one of the, you know, founding fathers, I mean, or, or, a you know, or a real, uh, a real hard charger you, that, you know, you don't necessarily expect from, and, and not, and, not in and, like an AOC whiny shrill kind of way either. That's why I hesitate to say middle-aged. All I meant was she's not a kid. She's an adult. And if you've ever seen her do videos, she 
knows how to work the camera. She knows how to appear on video. She's a very good spokesman, 100%. I say that as someone who works in video. She knows how to present herself. Do you agree, Tyler? Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I, I was in communication with her when she was just getting started. And she basically, I was concerned because of what happened. I hadn't seen much, you know, there wasn't a lot of media out of her before. And and when the, in the around January 6th, they were saying, oh, your mother, her mother, she, you know, they were attacking her family, basically really going after her hard, saying that she was doing a surveillance or some sort of reconnaissance of the area, just complete nonsense. And I was concerned, very concerned that there was not a uh, really robust response to this. Um, and so I had contacted her and said, you know, listen, I, I'd be glad to sit down with you or help you any way I can. And then I saw her come out with some videos like sh in short order thereafter. And I was blown away at just the, the presence and the, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. She's a natural, I guess is what I would say. She really knows how to communicate well and how to use the yeah, camera what? and how to hit her cues. Yeah, and she's not bland. She's not monotone. She just is, yeah, a natural. I'm sure you've seen the videos where she's like talk, talking into the camera and she's walking in front of the Capitol. And yeah, with her phone never, too. For, for, and for anyone who's never done videos like that, actually walking and talking at the same time is harder than you it's think. It's hard. Oh, especially when you're holding power? the camera yourself. Oh, when you're holding the camera yourself and you're basically producing the whole thing, it's not easy. No, it's, I mean, first of all, you have to pay attention to where you're walking. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, she probably might have, she probably had someone there helping. But at the same time, though, I mean, she didn't miss a beat. Like I said, she is a natural. She really is, knows, yeah. knows how to just dominate the camera. And I think that's another reason they hate her. She's telegenic and she really, I mean, some of the, and, very articulate too. I mean, some of the things, some of the answers and responses she's given uh, on the floor of the house in just like, for example, in the one minutes uh, speeches, you know, the, the, the minute, I mean, she has just nailed it. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't have packed more punch into a minute. Yeah. And tell Jen it's a good word. And w when she, and I'll tell you who else, there's this current crop of Republican women, Christy Nome. I saw her speak recently in Sioux Falls, and Christy Nome, I have some problems with Christy, but she's a good speaker, and she's very likable, and she presents herself to a South Dakota audience perfectly. She's like a, she doesn't make herself out to be overly intellectual. She's not dumb, but she's a regular person. And Carrie Lake, I'm a big fan of, and Carrie Lake, they really want, what do you think about everything going on in Arizona? They're saying they're not going to know till next week. What's going on in Arizona, Tyler? Oh, I mean, that, that, that is the, the turd on top of the, uh, the, the pile of you know what that is the, the Democrat fraud. I mean, how, how can you possibly in any reality that we've known that is, is a legitimate landscape of American electoral politics that a secretary of state overseeing an election in which she is a candidate for the top office on the ballot has so screwed up the election that we are weeks, you know, we'll be supposedly a week or more into it before we even have a result, which is, you know, since when did this become a reality? I'll tell you when it became a reality, when the Democrats decided that they needed time 
to overcome these landslide victories that, that we are achieving and that are being uh, basically doled out to them. And what they do is they need to, they, they need to extend and stretch it for, for one, first of all, so they can figure out how many votes they need to overcome with their fraudulent fake ballots, whether that be, I mean, it's, it, they've created a system that's so uh, ridiculously messy and unaccountable between the mail-ins and the, uh, you know, the drop-offs, the, the drop boxes and all this. And, and, and what they need to do is they first of all need to time, you know, they were able to get a jump on it in 2020 because they didn't, you know, this was a really smart tactic in a sense, although it's re- yielding the result that we see, which is to tell everyone to drop off their ballots at the last minute. And even if they're, even if they're not voting in person to wait till the last minute, so they, they cannot anticipate how much they need to overcome it, uh, with, with fraudulent ballots, um, and so the result is this, not only do they need to f- time to overcome and figure out how much they need to overcome, but they also need to do so. They need the time basically dilated in order to uh, gradually infiltrate the number of ballots they need. And the, the longer it's taking, probably the more, the larger the victory actually margin was because they realize we can't just dump 50,000 ballots or something. I mean, much as they've are, I'm sure they'll probably have to do that in some cases. I think we just saw that. I'm not sure what jurisdiction. The cameras went down. Is it what, what the cameras went down, and suddenly the the Democrat comes out, you know, ahead after they turn the the cameras back on and begin counting again, and there was some big drop of. I mean, it's just it's brazen. And in this case, I think, um, I you know, I think I think they've they've got they've got these ballots apparently stored in some sort of remote warehouse and like who is watching these things? Who is protecting these things? What is the provenance or what is the chain of custody? What you know? I mean, you, somebody could be in there overnight, just let in there and 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 be literally taking people's ballots out of these box three, uh, uh, you know, ballots that were were cast. I guess hard to be put because they weren't tabulated by the machines that were all screwed up. Um, and could be just switching them out. They could be burnt, tearing them up. We saw we saw video evidence of that in 2020. Postal workers tearing. Oh, look here's a Trump. You know, literally ripping up Trump votes. So I mean, let's not kid ourselves. These this, these people. This is like the all the stakes in the world to them. I mean, I guarantee they would probably murder people if it really meant come down to like win or lose. We either control the government or we don't. And moreover, it's not even just a matter of control or power. It's a matter of they know they're going to face prosecution. It's like Lyndon Johnson. People think, well, you know, Lyndon Johnson wanted power. That's what was his motive to kill Kennedy. Um, sort of. But like, I think the really compelling motive was that he was going to be prosecuted and go to prison because he had Bobby Kennedy and the great senator from my state, uh, home state, John J. Williams, all over his ass. And so, you know, this is really, really motive. And particularly you see this with the FBI. This is what really motivates people to go, you know, to step out of line and become uh, criminals in a, sen- in a sense in positions of law enforcement is not not just a desire to hold power, even to save their career. It's to save themselves from being prosecuted and imprisoned. And they know they know that they, that's due them that they they are owed that they if justice is done they will be behind bars and they should and be. And, and God willing, they will be. You think that the Hunter Biden laptop revealed evidence of open corruption? Revealed evidence of Joe Biden getting kickbacks using his political position, the definition of corruption. You agree with me that that's what is in store and the proof is out there. And it just is oh, waiting for Republicans. Yeah. Do you, do you, what do you think, Tyler? 
I think it's it's beyond. I think the the what what is what he's done and what they're into. The laptop's only just a a little, probably a glimpse of it. Joe Biden is the most corrupt, did like uh, corroded, um, ossified. Been there fifty years, has never faced any real challenges, uh, has just run amok. I mean, this is what you get when you have a total ego, totally self-absorbed, narcissistic, egomaniacal psychopath uh, in a position of power like that. Um, who well, feels uh, just uh, literally above above the law and above everyone else, and and it's just he drips it. I mean, it's, and if uh, it's I suggested, amazing. If I suggested that he could have pushed this war with Ukraine for the purposes of covering up his family's own criminality in Ukraine, if I suggested that, would you argue too hard, Tyler? Against it? No, I mean, I. I I absolutely yeah. think this is what I'm talking about. These people, it, it's it, you'd think it was for power. It's not. It's not. It's just pure greed. I mean, it literally comes down to just stuffing their po- pockets with money while they can, while they're while they can get away with it for as much as and as long as they can. And it and just as their debased motive of just sheer grubby greed, they will sell the country down the river into literal almost nuclear f- war to avoid. Being exposed and being held to account and to cover it up. Now, how, no question. Tyler, how long have you worked in politics? How many decades uh, since have you worked in politics? So it's been 38 years. Other than okay. my military service, I mean, I've been pretty pretty involved. You know, from stuffing envelopes to working for the Speaker of the House. So on my Twitter feed last night, I said, and this doesn't just apply to politics; it also applies to companies. But I said, people who have not been involved in politics or corporate, you know, politics underestimate how important human emotion is. How many of the problems you've seen in politics come down to base human emotions like greed, anger, envy, jealousy, personal problems, not policy, but personal issues? What's your experience? Oh, I mean, no, look, yeah, we're up against we're up against a political party. Well, again, I say that loosely. We're up against a criminal syndicate posing as a political party that is purely driven by desires and lusts and emotions and fear, and they use fear and they they exploit it. None. It's never logic. It's never rationality because they don't have any. They're totally incoherent on a logical and and a level, and they have no rational basis for anything they do. Other than just again, their pure greed and self-service. So uh, no, it absolutely it's it's this, uh, and this is why I think our politics is spun out of control because we don't have rational, uh, thoughtful, cool heads with you know a little bit of disinterest and and a little bit of objectivity. We now have these just absolutely self-serving, uh, uh, narcissistic, petty, immature, out of control little bully tyrants. Um, that are greedy and and they see an opportunity. Because I wanted to ask you about this. What do you make of Trump going after DeSantis and Youngkin? I think it's a bad move on Trump's part, and it shows that he's, in a sense, losing it. So whatever good he may have done, but I think it shows a lack of control, a lack of self-control on Trump's part. What say you, Todd Nixon? Well, you know, there comes a point at which I mean, I'm, I'm all about justice. I'm all about equity and fairness. And I think Trump has been done terribly wrong 
but there comes a point at which, uh, you know, he's, he, it's like, we have to, you have to cut your losses at a certain point. And I, I think it's sad because letting him go down in flames, even by his own hand, let's face it. I mean, they've dealt him so many bad, uh, just really agree. screwed him over. But at the same time, if he's going to implode and he's going to just go out of control, then, you know, it's like, it's all right, that's it. It's time to move on. And, and I, you know, I can't believe I'm saying that because I feel like it's very much a stampede against him. And it's only, and it's like, they're trying to pressure him into cracking and, and, you know, basically just doing exactly what he's doing, but we'll see. I mean, he's been a resilient, uh, a resilient player and frankly, a brilliant natural politician in so many ways. Um, and he, and he's a tough, tough cookie. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's certainly attacked others, I, but I, you know, anytime the rhinos get together and they're trying to stampede Trump, when I see George Pataki on there, you know, oh, Trump, it's all about himself. Give me a break. Like these people, you know, I'm not going to listen to them for a second. And I'm certainly not going to listen to Trump's enemies about how he should be drummed out of politics or whatever the case. But I think, no, you know, I, I frankly, I'm not worried about what he tweets or what he says. He has a, a proven track record of getting the job done. And frankly, I'm tired of the niceties and the, the cordialities that are about as phony as the Democrats, uh, you know, their oaths of office, they swear to uh, to serve and the by people. The way, I, I think that's why DeSantis won big, because he's got results as the governor, as a leader. Do you agree? That's right. Absolutely. But he's, and he's also, he was able to explain it and, and very, and, and, say that he was sticking it in their faces at the same time as he was having these successes, which is critical because I think often you would have, for example, we had, you know, Newt was a great leader. I mean, truly one of the probably uh, greatest leaders of our time and what he did taking back Congress. But I think messaging wise, he didn't realize the Democrats in their deceit and their uh, duplicitousness and their, their, you know, messaging, their spin back then was what it was called. Now it's narrative. They ran circles around him, and and I think you know he was he was trying to speak rationally to everybody. When you need sometimes to you know you're going to meet fire with fire, so it's important. That's what I think Trump did, and DeSantis Tyler, does that. We're we're out of time for the week. Great week. Thanks so much for joining us. Great guest for end, and have a great weekend, Todd Nixon. Thanks so much to Ted Rawl for his appearance earlier, and thanks for the phone calls. We'll be back on the show that brings you the truth. Behind the headlines, I'm Lee Stranahan. Thanks to Rod and Command Central too for your work. Great week on the backstory.